Well, good evening, everyone. Um, we're going to turn to the very first page of our Bibles, Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to be reading uh, the first 25 verses of this as part of our new series uh, on these foundational truths um, of, of Scripture about uh, beginnings and what God is like. So Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, 
and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the earth, on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Amen. May God's word touch all our hearts today as we think about this important passage. So, I mean, for me, I think there's, there's something... I mean, enormously exciting, actually, about uh, opening the Bible's leaves and uh, and coming to page number one and, and and wondering what we're going to meet there on, on the first sentence and in these first paragraphs uh, and in this first chapter. You know, what is this book going to be telling us about? What are its opening words? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then to have this sense of expectation of how it's now going to unfold before us and um, what its message is going to be. Very exciting to come to this first page of Scripture. Fundamentally, this first verse introduces us to the main message of the Bible, actually. A message that's going to be developed that will grow, will come to its fullness. It's, it's a message about God himself. In the beginning, we're learning here, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the very first thing that we learn about God, that God is the creator. There, there are going to be many other things that we're going to learn about God. And the whole function, really, of people who call themselves Christians is to grow in the knowledge of God. And so this revelation of God will, will, will be something that will unfold and will be continuously revealed. So just to give you a couple of examples, if you were to turn into the, the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3, the story of Moses approaching the burning bush, the bush that burns and is not consumed, and he hears God speaking to him from that bush, and who calls himself, I am. God is, de- is described as I am. I am self-existent. I am not dependent on anybody. I am eternal. He's learning more than God is the creator. He's learning something else about another attribute of God. You go on to, for instance, chapter 34 of the book of Exodus, and, and, and Moses is learning more about God. In fact, he says... Would you show me your glory? And we, we might define the glory of God as the summation of all God's attributes. If you put them all together. And so Moses is hidden in the cleft of a rock. God passes by. You can only see part of God. And as he does so, he makes an announcement. And he refers to himself as, as God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, and so forth. And other things are mentioned. And he's beginning to to find out more about God. But it's not until we come to the New Testament, 
John's Gospel, chapter 1, where it reads in that wonderful prologue, no, no man has seen God in his fullness at any time. But the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. And we're learning as we look at the life of Christ and we behold his glory, that in Second Corinthians it says, the God who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. And we come to know the fullness of God in the person of Christ. Now, I'm just mentioning all of this. This is the overarching message of the Bible. It is a message about God, and in particular, in his relationship to humanity. And here we are in the first chapter. And the one thing that is being introduced is the fact that God is the mighty, and he is the great creator. Now, just got a couple of basic points here that we're going to make as we go through this. And the first one is this, that this idea of, of God as creator is, is, is something that is foundational. It's a foundation stone that we're going to build on. Now, the way I like to put it is this. The book of Genesis is not just the first book in the Bible, you know, by chronology. It's not just that, it is the foundation of the Bible. Everything else in the Bible is built on the first few chapters of the book of Genesis. That's why this series we feel is such an important series to go through actually. These are the foundations that all the rest of the Bible is built on. And I mean it's not just the case, for instance, that the the truth of God as creator is mentioned numerous times as we go through all of the Bible. It's not just that, but it's the fact that the truth of God as creator is interconnected with all the other major teachings that we come up against in the Bible. And I'm going to give you a few examples of that in a minute or two. I mean, so for instance, <coughs> the teaching about Jesus as the Son of God, the teaching about what is humanity and what is the problem of humanity, the problem of sin, the importance of faith, the reality of a coming day of judgment, all these things and many more actually are all intertwined with this teaching of Genesis chapter 1 of God as, as creator. And so um, let's just look at a couple of the references that illustrate some of that. Now, I, um, when, I, when I had my first draft of my notes that I had written, I, I think I had about seven or eight references down here. Ran it past Angela who said, I think that's a bit much. Uh, that would have been all the message, I think, tonight if I had done that. So I've, I've pared it down a little bit. I've, I've redacted some of it. Um, but if you want to get the rest of them, I'm happy to give them to you. But I've, I've, I've selected a few. And I hope they are enough for you to see the point that we're making about the, the interconnection of Genesis 1 with all the major Bible teachings. So, here we go. 
we're on a bit of a, uh, a tour de force here. I'm involving you all in it. You need to have your Bibles on the ready so that you can follow it with me. The first one is in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians chapter 1. And let me read this, or at least part of it to you, from verse 15. <coughs> he, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now let me just stop there actually. When we come across this, this word, the firstborn of creation, in relation to Christ, it's important to understand what this doesn't mean as well as what it does mean. It doesn't mean that as a point of, of chronology that Jesus Christ was created first. He was the first to be born. Now, you'll find that some of the cults, like our Jehovah's Witness friends around the corner, will teach that. That's not what it means. And the reason we know it's not what it means is we, we, we compare this word with where it is shown up in other parts of the Bible. That's a good, good way of good principle of interpreting the Bible. You interpret the Bible from the Bible. And, and we understand that there were certain people and certain nations who were referred to as being the firstborn. And they were not always those who were born first. All right? It is, it is a description of status. It is a distinction, it is a, a description of rank. So it just means he is the ultimate. He is the most important. He is the, the firstborn, the unique high one over all of the creation. So that's what that verse means. So here we go, verse 16. For by Christ, all things were created. Now, of course, that's what we've just been reading, isn't it? In the book of Genesis. You know, everything out of nothing. That's the great thing. Not, not from anything material, out of nothing. Christ created everything. So initially, what we're coming up against here is, we're learning that Christ is the active agent in creation, Jesus Christ. So if we, if we kick into the long grass, the teaching of Genesis chapter 1, along with all the critics, and say that it's just legend and it's all medieval and how can you possibly believe this and science has disproved it. If, if you, if you follow that line and you, and you do away with Genesis chapter one, you know, you're actually doing away with the teaching about Christ himself. I mean, that's how important it is to see Genesis 1 as far as being interconnected with all these great teachings. It's interconnected with, with the teaching about Christ. And Christ himself refers to the creation and the creator anyway in the Gospels. So that's the first point. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Now, I'm not going to get into all of this, but the point I want to make here is that, you know, we, we read by and large in Genesis 1 about, about visible things that were created by him. The light, you know, the vegetation, the animals so forth. What this is adding to 
is the fact that he also created invisible things as well. Things that were invisible. Now, these, these, these are things like time, things like, like gravity, things like authorities, which it talks about here. Now, what that's really in, refer, in reference to is the spirit world, different ranks within the spirit world as far as angelic beings are concerned. All of these things, whether we can see them or whether we can't, Christ created them. The other thing that's mentioned here in verse 17, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. Now what that means is this, there is still an active participation and involvement that Christ continues to have in his creation today. He sustains. He upholds. So the very fact that we, you know, we breathe in and out, that we know that our blood circulates, that everything else at a physiological level continues to work, you know, within our bodies, that is part of the sustaining effect of Christ's ongoing involvement in his creation. He upholds things. He, up, he upholds the stars. You know, when, when Daniel spoke to Belshazzar, you remember? He said this to him. It's the writing on the wall. He said, The God in whose hand your breath is, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Psalm 139 also gives us a bit of insight into this idea that everything holds together by Christ. That's the great passage that God knows everything about us. You know, when we sit, when we sit up, when we, when we sit down, and he says, you know, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Each, each new child, each new conception, is a brand new work of active creation that Christ is involved in. In the same way as, you know, Angela's mother sits there at night and does her crocheting, you know, he knits us together. Each child, each human being is knitted together by Christ in the mother's womb. That is what it means by him upholding and sustaining. So that's that's the first one. That's the first major repercussion, interconnection with creation regarding Christ. Now, let me take you to the second one, which is in the book of Romans, chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, next piece of homework. Um, Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. 
For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. And if you go down to verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What's the connection here? Well, the connection is an understanding about why humanity is in the state that it's in. What, What have people done? People have consciously suppressed the teaching about God as creator. They've held it down. They've battened down the hatches on this teaching and and they've suppressed that. And they've believed a lie. And they they have worshipped alternatives. They've made an exchange as far as their thinking is concerned. And because they have done this, God has given them over to the consequences of their thinking. And the consequences of their thinking leads to an ever-descending spiral, a descending spiral. And it's part of what verse 18 talks about as the the current, present-day, present tense outworking of the wrath of God. This is not wrath of God in a day that's coming. This is the wrath of God being outworked today in society and in people's hearts. In the same way that people, you know, from a psychological point of view, say it's very bad to suppress things, you know, from your childhood. It'll it'll, it'll cause all kinds of anxieties and whatever in your life just now. Well, it's the same principle. If you suppress the truth of God, that's going to have an effect upon you. And that's that's the explanation that the Bible gives to the, the reason why humanity is the way that it is. And so you can see the teaching of Genesis 1 not only has an interconnection to the truth of the gospel regarding Jesus Christ, but also here to the truth of, of why mankind is the way it is and what sin actually is. Third one, we're going through these fairly rapidly, is uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews, which of course is the great chapter on faith. Verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Verse 6 of this chapter says, without faith it's impossible to please God. It's an essential ingredient in coming to know God. We can't know God without faith in God. There are things that we can't see. We are to, Christian people live their lives not by natural sense. Now that's not to say that what is in the Bible is, you know, completely contradictory to what seems to be sensible or logical. Not at all. But it's talking about the importance of faith. There are things that are beyond us. There are things that we have never seen and we've got to accept. And the the, the creation of the universe is one of them. Nobody was there at the time. And 
Faith is essential. This whole chapter is about a catalogue of all the faithful throughout the ages. The end of chapter 10 tells us the just will live by faith. That is the way to be accepted by God. It's through faith. So the whole teaching about Genesis 1 and creation and the acceptance of the, the, the of what is stated in Genesis 1 is all part and parcel of not just the teaching about Christ or humanity or sin, but it's tied in with the essential teaching about faith as well. And so we see that, you know, it's no wonder, it's no wonder that these early chapters of Genesis are under so much attack and have always been under so much attack. You know, being poo-pooed. You know, this is, this is ridiculous. It's, it's anti-science and all the rest of it. You cannot possibly believe this. And it's presented in such a way that evolution is just something that is absolutely accepted uh, as factual. The reason that that is done is to undermine the Bible. What the critics of the Bible, what the opponents of the Bible clearly understand is if you take out the foundation, you take out everything else. If you undermine confidence in the first chapter of the Bible and you don't believe that, everything else is connected into that and you undermine confidence in Christ himself and in the nature of humanity and in the, and the essential nature of having faith. And there are other ones that, of course, I've left out tonight. The whole thing is interconnected and it's integral uh, one to the other. Now, as far as the attacks, if I can just make a wee aside here, as far as attacks on the foundations are concerned, what I'd like to say is this, that fundamentally something like evolution is is not something that's scientific you know what i mean by that so i'm not misunderstood what i mean by that is this it was a theory just waiting to happen because fundamentally above everything else it's a spiritual thing now what i mean by that is this the idea that there is a creator who has made me and to whom I will have to give an account one day before whom I will have to stand one day is something that the majority of people find offensive and is deeply unpopular. It's much, much more acceptable to talk about progression and development and evolution and being the captain of my own destiny and being the master of my own soul and that is such a better vibe than thinking that I am I'm part of Adam's fallen race that requires to have a savior fundamentally it's that kind of thing that drives these, the rejection of Genesis 1 rather than anything else. It's at that kind of visceral level. Now, and there are consequences to that. There are implications as far as that is concerned. Because if I believe that 
And of course, faith is required for this as well. Because if I believe that I am just the, the product of, of randomness, of chance, that, you know, some kind of primitive soup, uh, comes together and by, by chance everything just develops from that to, to where we are today with all the color and vibrancy and, and, and everything else of, of our present world, then it's no wonder that so many people have a, have a sense of, of hopelessness and a feeling of lack of meaning in life. They, they, they don't know where they come from. They don't have a sense of design or, or, or reality about it all. And to a large extent, society that asks the question, well, well, what's the point? You understand where they're coming from because this is what's been fed into people's minds from day one as far as schooling and all the rest of it is concerned. So, this, that's point number one. This is absolutely foundational. I hope I've made that point. This chapter is totally foundational for the Christian to believe this. Now, what we're going to do now is rather than talk about the foundation, I'm just going to move on to, to take a few selected details um, from from the chapter. Just just a few things I'm just going to pick up on. Again, I, I can't be comprehensive just because of just because of the time. So here are here are some of the, the details I want to just uh leave with you. I want to point out um something about the use of the word day. Now it com- obviously comes up a lot of times in the course of the of the passage. And the reason I'm mentioning this is that Different people have, have different ideas on, on what that may mean. Some people, when they read the word day, think, well, that's a day of 24 hours. Some people think, well, maybe that's, that's not just the case. Maybe in the same sense where the Bible might say that one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. A thousand years is, is like, a, like a day as far as God is concerned. That maybe these days are lengthy periods of time. So anyway, let, let me just walk you through my, my reasoning on this one, the way I think about it. Um, so let me read the first one. So uh, verse number five, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now, that's basically repeated in verses eight. 13, 19, 23, and 31. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day, the third day, so forth, uh, and so on. Now, this is what I think about it. Number one, God can do anything. He's God, right? God can do absolutely anything. My personal view is that these are, these are days of 24 hours. You know, the fact that it's morning, and it's evening, the first day, morning and evening, the same. That just seems to me the natural, normal way to read this. And God can do anything. I mean, God could have created the world in seven minutes. God could have created the world in seven seconds. Because remember, God, as we found from Colossians, created time. He actually exists outside the whole concept 
of time. He's not bounded or restricted by time at all. So, so that's the first, that's the first thing. I'll also have a bit of a concern that saying that it's a, a, a you know, you know, one day maybe equals, you know, 10,000 years or something. That's a bit of a kind of capitulation to the, the evolutionists on that one. It's a little bit like some of the folks who, um, between chapter, uh, verse one and verse two, introduce a big period of time as well. You may have heard about this. It's called the gap theory. They say there's a big gap here. You know? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then something terrible happened. And, you know, then Satan fell from heaven and all the rest of it. And the earth was with form, without form and void. And it had to be recreated again. And, and, and that allowed people to put a great big long period of time in there that they could fit in the their way of understanding the fossils and all the rest of it. Again, I think that's a wee bit of a kind of waving the white flag um, to the evolutionists. I'm not particularly happy about that one, but I'm just pointing these things out. There are, there are a variety of people, in some Bibles even, they, they, they have that as part of their footnotes as an explanation on that one. Um, another thing under this one, of course, the world could have been created old. You know, Adam and Eve weren't created as children. And the world itself could have been created old. I often think about the, the, the first miracle that Jesus performed, changing water into wine, John chapter 2. You remember the master of ceremonies comes to the bridegroom and said, what's all this? He said, uh, Usually at a wedding, you know, they give the best wine first. They keep the duff stuff till, till later on. You've kept the best wine for now. And of course, Jesus had changed the water into wine. Well, what is the best wine? It's not the stuff that was made yesterday. It's the stuff that was made years and years and years ago. It's the old. So he made the wine old. Straight off the bat. And so the world could have been created old. Next thing is this, it's all about, and this is maybe the main one for me actually, principles of interpreting the Bible. I must admit, I'm a wee bit suspicious when we introduce codes and symbols. I think, I mean, it's obvious when we're talking about poetic language, but, you know, when you read something in the Bible, you just read it as you would read anything else with its obvious meaning. There was morning, there was evening, the first day, there was morning, there was evening, the second day. I mean, if you start to say, well, day actually doesn't mean day, it actually means 10,000 years, then, well, what happens when you come to the word light? What are you going to say that means? Or when you come to the word man, are you going to say that means something else? You just open a whole can of worms uh, to everything else. I think it's important that we have principles of just understanding the Bible with the, the usual laws of grammar and vocabulary that we would, we would usually uh, employ. And, and here's my last one, actually, on this, this point. If you go to Exodus chapter 20, this is the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, what, what he's doing as part of this is he's introducing the establishment of the Sabbath day. We, we, we were on this in our home groups, weren't we, uh, this week. Now look at what he says here, Exodus 20 verse 11. 
In six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. All right? So what he's saying is this. Um, He's talking about this day, the Sabbath day, that you are now having to observe. And he's making that equivalent to a day back in the time of creation as well. The days are equivalent, in my judgment. One day correlates with the other. Now, just as we close, um, let let me just point out one of the other details here. Um, It's another phrase that's repeated. And it's uh, this time the phrase, it was good. Now, if you look at verse 4, God saw that the light was, was good. Now, he repeats that in verse 10 about the dry land. He repeats in verse 12 about the vegetation. Verse 18 about the lights. 21 about the waters. And eventually in verse 31 he says about man, when he created man, it was very good. Good, good, good. Very good. Okay? Here's perfection. Here is flawless design and beautiful creation in all its vibrancy and texture and color and sound. There is nothing here to disappoint us. There is nothing that causes any distress. There's no destruction. There's no malfunction. There's no tragedy. There's no sorrow. There's no death here. It's just the astonishing, very good creation from the hand of a very good creator, God. And this is, the, this is the arena, which we'll come to next week, if you like, into which the crown of God's creation, mankind, is going to be brought and will fail in. Will fail in this perfect environment. And the whole of the rest of the Bible is the story of God's salvation and redemption of fallen man. And in fact, when we come in full circle to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, we come to heaven. And interestingly, the word heaven is taken from a word that means a garden. We start in a garden. We will end up in a garden. But a garden that is perfect and restored has been redeemed by the precious blood of the Son of God himself who steps down into this fallen mess. After everything had been said to be very good, it's spoiled by by sin. And he comes in to the jungle of the chaos. And he brings redemption. And that's the wonderful story of the gospel. And that, of course, is very good. The last one, actually, was just a wee comment in verse number 16, where it says, God made the two great lights. And then it says, at the end of the verse, and the stars. Just a little point of detail. Oh, sorry, nearly forgot that one. I think I should just put that one in. By the way, God made the stars as well. Really? That's just a little afterthought, a little detail. 
You know, we look up and somebody said, if the stars were only to come out every 50 years, just for one night, every 50 years, I mean, the whole world will come to a stop. You know, everybody would be out with their telescopes and all the rest of it. What a phenomenon to see these beautiful things. And it's just, it's just put in here. Oh, by the way, the stars were made as well. Such is the greatness of our wonderful creator. I think the right place to finish here is uh, almost back in Revelation again. If you were to go to Revelation chapter 4, there's a great vision of the throne of God and the, the crowds that are around the throne. And, and what they're saying is that you are worthy, O God, because you created everything. And for your pleasure, they were created. Somebody has said that Revelation chapter 4 is the color green. When you go to Revelation chapter 5, it's the color red. Because they're now saying something else around the throne. You're worthy, not just because you created everything, but because you were slain. And you redeemed humanity by your own blood. So... It's been a tour de force. Um, We opened at the very first page of Scripture, but we've we've been throughout it all tonight because of this foundational teaching, this wonderful teaching about God, our great creator, but who is much, much more than that. I hope that's been of some help. I'm sure there's lots of questions. If you want to chat, happy to try and, you know, answer some of it. Thank you. Now shall we pray. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. It's only right that we worship and praise and adore you when we think about your greatness in so many ways. You ourselves are fearfully and wonderfully made the result of your direct creation. And so, Lord, we honor you when we know that many have suppressed and rejected that teaching. Help us to defend the truth of your word from beginning to end. Thank you for all your goodness to us. May your people be blessed as they understand something of your great glory and attributes, as we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.